Support for Gig with Mike Redman comes from Music Connection. For 45 years, connecting artists and musicians with each other and the industry. And you can find them on the web at musicconnection.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Gig. I'm your host, Mike Redman. I've been doing this podcast for a while now, and every once in a while, I meet somebody that's just extraordinary. That's the word I would use to describe Mark Benilla. He's an LA-based guitarist that's played with lots of bands, loves to tour, composes music for film and TV, and he's a compassionate deep thinker. I found him so thoughtful to talk to that I decided to go long and produce two episodes around Mark. Here we go. So, Mark, hi. It's uh, wonderful to have you on Gig. Thanks for joining me today. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here, man. Any, anywhere Steve Percaro goes, I'm proud to be uh, following him. So. Uh, me too. Yeah. Hey, so I know you're, you're touring you know, touring right now. Would you? Uh, I set this up in the, uh, the uh, introduction to you, but you've been touring for a lot of your career. Would you talk a little bit about the band that you're with right now and maybe a little bit about life on the road over an extended period? Well, uh, the band I'm in right now is uh, the name of the band is Prague Jack. And what we did is we're, we're you know, we're all from other bands mm-hmm. and uh, we decided to get together and, and kind of keep alive the progressive music because you, it's, it's underrepresented. It was always underappreciated, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, progressive music was always a large umbrella of music that uh, encompassed several different styles. You know, you had classic, it was actually originally called classical rock back back in the ELP and yes days, but it's, it's, it's gone further than that now, as far as it's, it's scope. And, uh, but it encompasses blues, country, jazz, you know, rock, uh, classical, all of those styles, the new age. And so for me, one, it's, it's one umbrella that, that is, is challenging too, because of the time signatures and all of that. And, mm thematic and orchestral compositional heft and all of those things. Uh, I always found it to be the, the most visual music, uh, you know, the, that I've been associated with. So uh, that's why we're doing it. And we're, and we're bringing back, you know, the, the, the bands like Gentle Giant. Uh, yes. Oh, wow. uh, you know, Utopia, all, all the great stuff that we grew up with, the kind of our formative years and paying, mm-hmm. paying, uh, uh, tip of the hat to those guys, you know, and it, and the people that, that come are so uh, appreciative because they don't get a chance to hear this because most yeah. of the guys are either not here anymore or they're not playing, you know, they're off, you know, and to be able to hit it with the same amount of fervency as they did when they were in their 20s. And that's what we do. You know, we really awesome. give this stuff up and the people have been so appreciative of it. So anyway, wow. so I've been out with that for a couple of months, you know, and then coming back and I'll be going out with uh, CTA and Daddy Seraphin doing the, uh, with uh, Jeff Coffey doing some of the Chicago stuff, which is also great, great music. Awesome. I just, I just try to challenge myself with, with, with music. I love to play at this, at this stage of my career. I just want to be yeah. able to enjoy, you know, all of those things and, and, yeah. uh, hopefully make you know bring that to, to others you know so that's cool that's really but, cool so uh, utopia uh, todd's band todd's utopia yeah or? yeah yeah we do the uh, we do a piece of the icon in there and you know so it's uh I was looking at your website. I thought it was really awesome that 
a guy like yourself that's been successful, you know, as a, a musician, a guitarist, and you've had a long career, also gives guitar lessons. Yeah. I thought that was wild. Why did you decide to do that? You Obviously, you know, as I do, you're not going to make much money giving guitar lessons. What kind of student would benefit from working with you like that? Well, I mean, the the, the, the monetary aspect is not, was never a motivation for it. Yeah. You know, I, I've taught people for free, you know, you know, sure. uh, if they want whatever they want to learn, uh, you know, the thing is that you have to, uh, you have to re- always remember where you came from, mm. you know, and I, I remember back in the day, you know, I was, I was so hungry for any knowledge, you know, growing up, and especially from people that I looked up to or people that were doing it at the time. And so for me, <clears throat> I've always tried to, again, <clears throat> uh, seize those opportunities when they present themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, you know, there was a, 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 a Incident that happened on the Mark and Brian show one day when I was in there with Kevin Gilbert and we were promoting our first album. Or no, we were, yeah, we were promoting the first album, getting ready to do the second album. And we were in there in the morning show and this little guy calls up, he's 10 years old, James DePrado, and he was a fan. And I said, yeah, you're a fan, you know, because, yeah, I play guitar, you know, and I said, hmm, you have your guitar right now? Mm -hmm. And he said, Yeah. And so I said, we're going to take a, t- a station break. And we're going to come back. I want you to get your guitar ready. So I uh, did a station break. In the middle of the station break, I asked the producer, can we go out of the delay? Can yeah. we, like, take our radio out of delay? Because they, they put you in, like, a five-second delay. The seventh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, why? And it says, because I want to do something with them. I swear, we'll not, we're not going to say anything offensive, none of that. I promise you. So we, we did. We took ourselves out of delay. Came back, and they said, okay. I want you to, James, I want you to put your phone down by your amplifier. And I want you to turn your radio full blast up so you can hear us. And we have a band in here. We're going to play some blues. And you're going to jam to that blues. And you'll be able, we'll be able to hear you in time. And so that's what we did. We did this blues thing. And he's jamming away. And that's going off over the airwaves. (laughs) I love that. And he was great. He was really good. He had, like, timing. He had... Uh-huh. And he had he had pauses in between his statements, you know. So I was really impressed with this little guy. And I said, "Okay, I got I got I got one more for you." And I said, "We're going in to do a, a, the new album in in a couple of months. I want you to come in and do a solo on the album with me. We'll do a guitar duel." And he was like, "Really?" You know. And it's like, "Yeah." And he came in with his parents. We filmed it, you know. So he has a and he's on the album. And then we did the full like big Bigger's Banquet. Uh, photo for the insula this is for american matador and mm-hmm. all the guys were there james Newton howard uh, glenn hughes ronnie wow. Montrose, you know all the boys and uh here he is right there in the middle of them you know you know the, the, the midget in the room <laughs> you know, that's so cool in. but to this day he's he plays up to he, this day that's what he does but that was the moment for him that sealed it. Like I'm as good as these guys, or I can hang with these guys. I can do this. I can do this. I can yeah. do this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So again, coming back to lessons, those are the things that that shape you at a very early age. Those those impressionable years, you know. So wow. for me, teaching, I taught for a lot of years, and you don't okay. ever learn about your craft until you teach it, because you have to break the engine block down. To yep. every single part, you may know that, and there's a big difference because I flunked algebra twice in high school, switched my teacher from Mr. Elliot to Mr. Gregson. The third year, I got an A, and it was the same book, the same course, the same curriculum. Then I went, "Hey, wait a minute, what's the difference here?" Not me. I didn't study during the summer. It's that freaking teacher. 
Mm. And so I know, and this is what I preface all my lessons with, with you know, because guys get a little nervous or, or you know, as, as you can. Or if you're explaining something they don't quite understand, I said, look, if you don't understand something, it's not your fault. It's my fault because you're a house. I got to find the, the door that gets into that house. The front door might be locked, but I might be able to shinny up the banister, climb across to the, you know, the rose bush, <laughs> that attic window, kick open the door. I'll get to your ass. You know, but I have, but that's the teacher's responsibility is to understand the, the the student and understand how they learn the different patterns. They may learn mathematically, they may learn visually, pictorially, whatever it is. You have to find the access code to get into that brain, and that's the challenge of teachers. And a lot of times, teachers they're they're wrote sometimes, not all of them, obviously. I've had some brilliant teachers in my life, but that was always the key defining factor was to be able to look at each individual person and find out a way to get in to get them to understand. And when you do that, and you 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 relieve them of all the responsibility of that, they free up, and you can only express music and all that by being in a relaxed state and not being afraid to make mistakes. And this is what I try to tell my students. I said, look, I want you to make mistakes because mistakes says for one in life, you don't learn by doing it right. You learn by doing it wrong. That's how you learn. And you learn it much better that way. And so I welcome mistakes. That's those are my growing points. And it's the same when you reflect in life, you reflect in music and the music's the same thing. You reflect those by being bold and trying new things. You may step on your dick a few times. That's okay. But you go in there and by making mistakes, you learn what you're capable of and pushing yourself beyond your comfort level. That's where you want to be. But you have to understand that the force behind all of this is a flow. It doesn't come from you. It comes through you. And when guys understand that, uh, they are able to tap into that flow. When you watch Hendrix at Woodstock and yeah. you watch him doing Star Spangled Banner, you have the split screen and you see him just blazing away. But then you see his face, his face is just, he's in the Bahamas somewhere. He ain't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone else is driving that car. <laughs> and that's what, in lessons, the thing that that I try to bring across to the guys is, Everybody can learn scales. Everybody can do all that stuff and learn the right fingering and the, and the pr proper things. The hard part is learning how to express that. There's a di big difference between playing something and performing something. Mm -hmm. And playing something is like a table read when you're sitting around a, a desk and all the actors are sitting there. They're going through the script, you know, and they're just doing yeah, yeah. But then, all right, throw the script away, camera's on, act. You know, now you're performing it. It's a whole different thing. And that's how it is on stage or in your bedroom. Doesn't matter where it is. The performance aspect is the hardest part to teach because it's something that becomes a little nebulous and there's different ways of doing it. But the, the source is always the same. And the source is the continual flow through you, not from you, but through you. And guys that, that don't understand that uh, think, and again, I used to always use the, the, the metaphor of going out in the desert with a canteen of water. You have a canteen of water, it's great for a while, but all of a sudden it runs out. Now what do you do? I have writer's block, you can't play. It's because you think it's coming from you. But if you look at that, that creativity as a river that flows alongside that desert, you can go and dip from it anytime you want. Then you learn to trust it, that it'll always be there. And so you, it relaxes you. And so you, you, you basically just come and it, it, it comes through you. So lessons, I try to teach that as well. And those are the things that, that most clinics don't really understand. And they, they yeah. perform and they do, they play at you as opposed to no, you have to understand why I'm doing something. You know, anytime I, when I was taking martial arts, uh, Taekwondo, 
I would always ask the instructor, why are we learning this move? You know, and, and mm-hmm. not not like being what why do we have to do this? It means what's the purpose of this? In other words, how what's the practical application for this or what's the spiritual application? I always wanted to understand every move I was doing so yeah. that I knew to, to where where it needs to come from. And and he was like, Well, okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> that's a very good question. And so that's what you have to do. Why are you doing it? It's one thing to learn a language and learn to say, I could teach you, you know, say this Spanish uh, sentence, you know, and but if you didn't know what it said, you wouldn't know where the appropriate time to use it, you know. So you have yeah. to understand the language that you're 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 doing. And and so I feel that a lot of teachers kind of they they fall short in those ways where they're they're teaching a lot of mechanics but they're not teaching the spiritual application or the flow or the things that really separate us into unique guitar players you know yeah. why, why does beck sound like beck gilmore sounds like gilmore holdsworth sounds like holdsworth steve house sounds like steve al ronnie mont is because they're all playing the same scales they're all playing the same alphabet they're they're t- taking from that you know those seven those seven letters why do they all sound different has nothing to do with what they're playing it's how they're playing it and where does that source come from that's a lot to unpack brother <laughs> mark i i know why people like to work with you uh, you kind of have been spelled you spelled it out already it's cuz you have a huge heart well that's my father and my mother let me ask you a couple of quick ones how important is it for a guitarist to be able to read music to read music yeah it depends on their it depends on their livelihood you know if you're going to be a studio player it makes a lot of sense to read music i i can read music i'm not i'm not an avid like sight reader uh because i haven't been put into that position in my career where that's paramount you know Mm -hmm. you play something I can hear it, you know, and like what James Newton Howard would do is he would send me the music beforehand. I mm-hmm. would read it. I would get it down, you know, and then I would I would kind of assimilate it mm-hmm. and then go in and, and play. You know, not now that was, you know, he was very cool at doing that. And others have done the same thing. Uh, other times I've had to go in and just read, you know, and you know, I can read chords without any problem. But notes, I, you know, I have to work and make sure that I have it. I'm not a sight reader. I can just yep. play it like that. Oh, me, but, me either. Yeah. Yeah, but but Beatles didn't sight read. You know, so many people didn't sight read. Look at their careers; they changed mm-hmm. the course of music. So, and 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 sight reading or, or music in itself is is extremely approximate. Mm-hmm. And I'll read. I'll give you a good example of that. Is is I was on. I was driving one day in the car and I had my classical radio on, and I was listening to Firebird Suite, right, mm-hmm. by Igor Stravinsky. Yep. You know. And the end that goes dun 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 boom 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 dun 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 right, and um, uh, but they were playing it so fast that it was like oh my god they're just they're 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 not they're just gutting the feel of this you know you know Stravinsky it was just this beautiful you know. And they're just rushing through it like 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 you know I have a union break in five minutes we got to get through this you know and so. They get done, and I'm like, "Who the fuck was the wanker who was conducting uh-huh. this?" Goes, uh-huh. Stravinsky's, you know, um, you know Firebird Suite, conducted by Igor Stravinsky. And I went, "Oh my god!" What? You know, <laughs> I said, "He doesn't know how to conduct his own music." You know, this was, I was screaming the car. He doesn't know a damn thing about his own music. It's not, you know, but what I'm, my point being, 
<laughs> he obviously heard it that way. Where yeah. other people just like, Igor, nah, you're rushing through that shit. Lee it back, get a pocket for it, you know. Yeah. And so. That's so funny. It, but it's the same music, see? Yeah. But uh -huh. a completely different interpretation of it. So music is totally approximate uh -huh. as far as how you interpret it. Uh -huh. I have my own musical uh, notation that I do if I'm writing stuff down. It looks yep. nothing like music, but I know how to read it. But yes. Who's to say that just because that's the way somebody chose to put it down, that you don't have a better way or a different system that helps your brain uh, remember yeah. stuff? So again, reading music, yeah, I mean, yeah. So if you're going, if you're going to live in Mexico, it's good to learn the language. If you're going to visit Mexico once in a while, yeah, you can get by with a few words. I'm kind of a product. I mean, looking way back, I'm a, a product in the early days of, uh, I don't know, S Steve Howe, Steve Morris, Jeff Beck, a little Clapton, a little this, a little that, a little Hendrix. And it kind of, you know, you take all those things and you mix them together and you keep playing, keep playing, keep playing, and then you become Mike Redmond. I mean, who did you listen to? Who were your heroes and stuff? Well, my early heroes were Spider-Man, Hulk, Thor, <laughs> Daredevil. That's why I have them on my guitar. Everybody thinks, what are your early influences? Well, they were that's what they were, because I wanted to be a superhero. I'd dress up and do that. Thing. But I know it seems like that's a non sequitur, but yeah. it ain't. Uh -uh. It isn't. That's, that's, that's being able to do something superhuman and having it yeah. as a secret that you can't tell people. You know, it's, it's very sort of that. Why I'm a comic nerd, you know, for that reason. But, <laughs> but musically... Um, yeah, I mean, all of those guys, you know, there, there were so many. And, yeah. and you, you ever notice in your life when you, you, you the things that you remember from childhood, mm -hmm. they may not be something that was a traumatic event. It may have been just something somebody said to you. But for yeah. some reason, your brain decided to take that and put it in resin plastic and log it in here. So you'll always remember it. It'll know it will never deteriorate. Weird stuff like that. I remember just things that that my friends would say, or, or my mom said, or some stranger said that had nothing to do with anything that was, it wasn't connected to any relevance mm -hmm. that I could find. <laughs> but for some reason, I remembered exactly what they said, word for word. Uh -huh. Why uh -huh. is that? So yeah. I think with, when it comes to guitarists that, that influenced me, yeah, it, it, they didn't have to necessarily be ones that were the household words, you know, obviously. Uh, yeah, good, good point. Mm -hmm. All of that's too, but I yeah. may have found something that went from some obscure guitar player. I went, what was that? You know, and mm. oh wow, and that'll open up something. So you're, yeah, you're taking gotcha. from so many small events, some larger, of of of, of points in your life. You yeah. know uh, that 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 you know it's like a pinball. You know, they, yeah, they yeah, that's a really good point. That's yeah. somewhere that else, and so because of that, <clears throat> you're, you're you you exceed the sum of what you were taught. All right. Yeah. You learn to think independently and you learn to have the confidence to then filter all of those aspects through your own mental thumbprint so that you you yourself now have a, a bit of uniqueness to it because you're you're it's like it's like all the ingredients you go to a store. Right. You got you got your your pepper, your cayenne, your paprika, your cinnamon, you know, all of those things. You can everyone can take those same ingredients, but make a different chip dip. You know, with them, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, and, and it all depends on the, the, the certain amount of those ingredients per di per person will make a different dip for the party. 
and they'll all be great, and they'll all be different. Now, you making this up, or you just, have you said this before in an interview? No, I'm just making this up. This is good go. shit, man. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it, it's yeah. That's what it is, though. You know, what I'm saying it's like you know, you go to a bar, you know all this stuff, and and so we're all products of the same DNA musically, but we we hear it differently because of our own life experiences. We we're you know, we, we just hear things differently, which is what's wonderful about music and why you always want to be true to yourself because that's the only person you're best at being is you. I'm not good at being Hendrix. I'm not good at being Steve Howe. I'm good at being me with those guys as my influence. And so that's why it's a hard question to go, well, who are your main ones? It, it's such a, you know, without that little of paprika, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be what it is, you know. It's like Laura Petrie when she leaves out the mustard dip, you know, when Millie tries to make the dip on Dick Van Dyke, like, oh, shit, I left out the mustard, you know. But, but that's, that's kind of what it is. That is a really unexpected but cool answer. Um, my kids had this great picture of me, you know, on the refrigerator for a while, of me sitting on a toilet, pretty much naked, just practicing good guitar. And they're like, well, you're in good company because I've seen, uh, Frank Zappa on a toilet. Yeah, but he died of, uh, well, you know what? I, I read somewhere, uh, probably on your website again, that you're kind of getting into orchestration these days. Is that Conrad Pope kind of orchestration, or are we talking about something else? Well, orchestration, I mean, orchestration is, you, you're talking about symphonic orchestration? I, I don't know. It was actually, I think it was, I do believe it was on your website. I think probably you, it may have been the Three Fates Project. Yeah, orchestration is a, is a, is a transferable term where you can be orchestrate yes. a rock band, you can orchestrate you can You can orchestrate a picnic. Right, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as far as musically, I think probably it was more symphonic. Um, we, you know, Keith and I had the opportunity to go over to Munich and do a symphonic album with Tadia Mickelson and the uh, Munich Radio Orchestra, which is a brilliant orchestra. And so we set about to recreate some of the ELP songs in orchestral form, which had already been done with en uh, Endless Enigma and Tarkas. We went in and, and redid some of that to make it more towards Keith's liking. And then we were also, we did uh, Malambo, which was a Yenistera piece, uh, fanfare for the common man, Aaron Copeland, as, and then we wrote some things uh, independently. I wrote, uh, I had, I actually had American Matador uh, reorchestrated by Kittel Birkenstrand, who was brilliant uh, orchestrator, and then I wrote two pieces, uh, Walking Distance and Morning Sun, that um, original pieces that I orchestrated, and then Keith wrote after all of this, just some beautiful stuff. And we were able to go over there and, and you know, to have a, a, an orchestra at your beck and call is something that you don't turn down. Again, that's yeah, something that can be frightening, you know, but again, and here's an example of what, what, what I'm talking about with, 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 with regard to channeling mm -hmm. is, okay, so Tadi calls me, who's the conductor and who's arranging this entire thing, and who was, we couldn't have done this without him. Um, he said, write a couple of pieces. We, uh, I want you to write a couple for the orchestra. So I sat down and wrote. We get over there, and I'm I'm playing, uh, you know, uh, one of the tunes, and, and the, the uh, producer couldn't believe, and I'm just to cut this short, but it couldn't believe that I had not been to a conservatory or studied Mahler or all of these other things. Couldn't nice. get his head around the fact that I was just this rock rock and roll guitar player so to speak it mm -hmm. didn't make any sense to him how yeah. and, and but but what it did is it, it proved to me two things it, it proved to me that that you have no limitations if you allow yourself not to have the limitations and two 
the channeling can expound into or can expand into all facets of music. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Your muses are your muses. They can they can they're chameleons. Whatever mm-hmm. they you know, they they want to bring you, as long as you allow it to come in, you, it's there. You know, it's like the, yeah. it's like all it's like what we are is a prism. I always think of this. I think of uh, an artist or a musician as a, as could be like a prism where you have all of this white light coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And you hit the prism, and all of a sudden it breaks into all of these colors, right? And it depends on the facet of the glass depends on what color you want to bring forth. Uh, but you're getting all of that information in through white light. White light contains all colors. So you as a prism, you decide what color do I want to reflect today? You know, yeah. whether it's red, blue, green, purple, any of that, I'm going to facet my diamond to accentuate those colors today. Mm. Knowing full well that you're fully capable of doing all of it if you would just leave yourself open to that white light. And when it comes in and flashes, and I so I faceted my my diamond to to reflect classical music, you know, and what I what I term to be that in the inputs that I've had through my life. And apparently it worked because I fooled this guy into thinking I'd study at a conservatory. I had a very similar experience with Disney where my first real gig was the, them. The scene was uh, Mickey Mouse conducting the Millennia Orchestra on top of Cinderella's castle. Yeah. And I was a rock guitar player. <laughs> and I was like, I went, oh, shit. And they yeah. brought, and, and it had to be on air the next morning. Yep. And uh, but it was it's a it's a pretty funny story. But I think I did the same thing. I, I was able yeah. to channel in some. I don't know if it's channeling for me, but uh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was channeling. But it was what was really interesting is I could hear it. I just had to figure out how to get it on paper for people right. to play it. And yeah. fortunately, my drummer went to Northwestern and had a degree in composition. Yeah. And he sat yeah. in the back writing all this stuff. Yeah. And we recorded at 3 a.m. And it was probably, I told people, I said, it's probably the, to this day, the best piece of music I've ever written. Yes, it's, because it's it was done uh, with no filter. But that's it. That's, you know, I always liken my muses to firemen where I always think of them up there, reading a magazine or, or, you know, watch soap opera, and the siren goes off, right? The bell goes off. What do they do? They run down that pole. Okay, where's the fire, right? Okay, what we are, we're the fire truck. We're the truck. They're the muses. When we do this or we do this, that's the fire alarm. And they go, ah, somebody needs us. Down, where's the fire? Now, it depends on your maintenance of that fire truck. How is it clean? Does it have the oil changed? Is it got gas in it? Mm. All of that. That's what this is. That's what this is. That's what the study is, is keeping your car tuned up. So whoever wants to drive it, it'll respond to them. And that's where your buddy came in for that, you know, from Northwestern to right. That's our conscious effort that we can do is keep our chops up, keep our knowledge of music up. So when it comes in, we'll know how to get it from abstract to corporeal. And that's that's what it takes. Because there's nothing more, there really is nothing more beautiful than getting something that is originating or germinating as an idea in your mm-hmm. head that no one can see, no one can hear, no one can touch, feel, taste, any of that. Being able somehow through the means that mankind has been given for communications to come out and actually manifest so that someone outside your head can enjoy what you were hearing inside your head. That's a fucking miracle. And, and, and that's, that's why we have art. 
is for that reason, because it's true expression. And to be able to do that, you never pay what it's worth as far as dues. My favorite three guitars are a 68 Strat, a 2003 Parker Fly that I have that came out of the same tree as Joni Mitchell's, ah. and, a, and a Collings Acoustic. What are yours? Well, uh, one of them is the Pacifica that I that I currently play, my Marvel Superheroes Pacifica, because I put that together. You know, we are able to make it exactly to my specs. It has a great feel and just has a great... Uh, uh, complete encompassing sound that if i if i take one guitar with me that's the one because i can get all kinds of great versatility out of it so that's one uh -huh. second one is my uh gretsch duo jet i have mm. uh pyramid flat wounds on there like george harrison had yeah and wow. it is the beetle guitar i mean it makes it with, with those flat wounds and the gretsch picks up it makes every track sound amazing when you put it in there it just has this glassy tone that you know it just it's like putting maple syrup on cow shit it'll always taste good doesn't matter what's <laughs> underneath it, you know so that's kind of how that that duo jet is. it's like that and my third guitar is my <laughs> it's the only one that's in it's it's all it's the only one that's in existence is my 1964 left-handed firebird five no wow. one else has this guitar because they made one uh even paul doesn't have this guitar uh, if I, I was a huge Johnny Winter fan, you know, uh -huh. yeah, and yeah. let's play that slide and on that Firebird. I always looked for one. And I couldn't find one. And uh, so I ended up thinking, well, you know, I have a I have a I don't know if you remember the the uh, the the Guild Thunderbirds, the one like Zal Yanoski used to play on the Love and Spoonful. They were called mm, the Gumby guitar right. and they had uh -huh. a little stand that actually came out of the back. You could actually stand it up on its own. Uh, anyway, I flipped that. I bought one. I flipped one of those so I could play because you can't find left handed ones of those. And I thought, OK, Firebird, I went down to <clears throat> uh, uh, uh I can't remember the name, the, the uh, rare guitars, Norm's rare guitars. Oh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> maybe I could find a reverse Firebird that I could flip that the knobs wouldn't get in the way. I was down there, and they're pricing about five grand. So I went home and said, well, let me see what the going price is so I can work a deal. And I called up a site called, um, and I've been there before, is uh, um, a friend in Houston, South Paw oh. Guitars. Okay. And it's just all left there. And I, I got oh. on the uh, website, oh. and the, uh -huh. the splash page, I swear not, I swear to God, the flash page, there's a Firebird right there in front of me. And mm -hmm. I should have known it because I heard the choir, ah, mm -hmm. and I saw the, the <laughs> ray of light the coming lights, down on yes. the bird circling. <laughs> yeah, I, I went, oh, yeah. yeah. And um, it said, you know, original Gibson mm -hmm. Firebird 5, the only one in existence. Oh my god. Twenty seven thousand five hundred bucks. Uh, and I'm uh, like, I start breaking out in a cold sweat, right? Yeah. And uh going, shit, this is the guitar I've been looking for all of these years. Yeah. And you know, my you know, I was raising a family and I'm like, that's you know. So I, I called the first guy I called was Bob Birch, who who was my best friend played for uh, uh -huh. Elton John. And I called Bob, I said, Bob. I found it. He goes, you found what, God? And I said, no, no, no. I found the Firebird. He, being, and he goes, you did? You found, Yeah, I said, yeah. And he goes, and? He says, they want 27.5 for it. And he goes, oh, hell, get it. And I went, 
Really? He says, oh, absolutely, get it. I mean, 2700 that's nothing. And I went, no, no Bob, <laughs> 27000 He goes, you're out of your fucking mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, no said, kidding. <laughs> and he laughed, and he goes, no, man, you should get it. You know, I uh-huh. said, all right, thanks for the advice. I was uh-huh. talking to my wife, and, then, and I, I thought about it for a while, and it says, you know, I, I can't afford this, you know, with with the family and all that. So I was talking to my wife about it. I said, Joe, you're not going to believe this. I found my the, the fire mm-hmm. resident for all this. She goes, well, really, you're going to get it? I said, it's almost 28 grand. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh. She says, um, are you, are you, uh, I said, I don't think I'm going to get it. And she says, are you then comfortable with the fact that you, it was in your grasp, you denied it and you'll never see it again for your entire life. Are you prepared to be able to coexist and live with that? And mm-hmm. I said, I don't know. And she goes, she is a smart lady. Yes, she, she said, is. I think this was put into your space for a reason. I mean, how, what were the odds that you were looking for that? And it appeared right to you. She says, that sounds more um, divine. She mm-hmm. says, I personally think you should get that guitar. And so she talked me into getting that guitar. That's and, what a blessing she is, huh? Yeah, well, wow. she was. We've been married 38 years. That's why. Wow. And and yeah. uh, so I have that guitar. So that is my third favorite guitar is the fact that I can play Highway 61 Revisited right along Johnny. That is a great story. So this is the end of Mark Benia Part 1. Keep your eye out for Part 2 in a couple weeks. 